Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, everybody, we want to take a second to talk to you about an amazing sponsor. We have an amazing relationship with RayAllen.com. Ray Allen is a one-stop shop for everything dog, not just working dogs. Everything dog that you need, you can go down there, check them out, RayAllen.com. Awesome people. They got everything you need. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with a dog trip. They've been with us from the start. Uh, great collars, great ball poppers, great GPS tracking, big dog, small dog, bark collars, everything. I got everything like that they have at the kennel. We use it every day. Be sure to head them up, dogtrip.com. Listen for the discount code later in the episode. Hey, guys, it's going to happen. August 16th through the 19th, HITS is coming back. The HITS Canine Conference in Orlando, Florida, August 16th through the 19th. Get on there. It's the biggest, the best. Check it out. Hitscanine.net. Hitscanine.net. Get registered now. Take the guesswork out of making sure you're feeding your working dog correctly by using Kinetic Dog Food. Hit them up at kineticdogfood.com and look them up on the Instagrams at kineticdogfood. Take all the guesswork out and do it right from the beginning. We love Horizon Structures. Dude, this stuff is so awesome, man. You can get online. You can talk to them. You could build it. You want from mild to wild. They'll come bring it to your place, set it down on your pad, hook up your power, hook up your water, and you can put dogs in it that day. If you don't believe me, check out some guys like uh, Justin Rigney. He's got a great setup there. Ask him. Check him out, horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. We are back at it. Um, my name is Eric Stambro, as usual, from... Uh, Canton, Ohio, which is at uh, minus seven right now, I think, something like that, minus four. It's, degrees? Yes, it's the worst day ever. Um, with me, that that you heard, as usual, is my co-host, Ted Summer from Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is probably still 75 degrees. No, What's going it was on? like, it wasn't, I mean. Have you got snow yet? Yeah. Like, yeah. it snowed, like, I don't know, a little bit of dust. Uh, no, I don't think it was like 50 degrees today. No, it was still oh. cold. And I was like 30. I got a heater in the kennel now, and I'm like, ah, it's it's 50 degrees year round in there. Well, in the wintertime, so I'm ecstatic. But no, holy shit. Um, yeah, so it's negative so this, seven. What let me f- tell you this funny story. Um, this morning, so we have, um, you know, I have, well, I'm down to 10 trainers now that do board and trains for the for my business. And then I have a couple that work in the building and we do board and trains that stay at the building. I have a night shift that works two to 10, one, one person and 10 o'clock, she puts the dogs to bed. Then six 30, the opener gets them out. Um, well, she's on vacation this week. So we have this one little dog, uh, Gigi, she's like this big and she's here at my house. I've been bringing her home at night. So I have her in a crate and five 30 in the morning, she starts barking. And one of the th- issues that they're having with her is, is um, housebreaking. So no biggie. I get up, I go downstairs. I'm like, I look outside and everything's just frozen. So I, <laughs> I took her outside in a robe, muck boots, and my Carhartt jacket. Like cousin Eddie from. I did. I look just <laughs> like cousin Eddie. Shitter's I, full. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad no one walked by and took a picture of me you see that with this tiny little dog on a leash. <laughs> You're so, going to get your Rockweiler now, too? Yeah, right. What was that dog's name? I don't even remember. Oh, oh I, can't, I can't remember. But uh, <laughs> I, I looked absolutely ridiculous. But it's better than the dog peeing in her crate. So. Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't disagree. By um, froze. It's 
furrows. I don't know how women wear skirts in the winter, like wind right up in that robe. So, <laughs> oh man, what's going on at your kennel? I see some build out, new build out. Um, yeah. So drywall's done, electric's done. Um, we're getting ready to tile the entire, like basically eight feet all the way around the back half of the kennel. So it turns literally the entire thing into basically a bathtub. Uh, so I can just wash, just scoop solids and wash everything straight in sewer system, done deal, ready to rock. It's going to be awesome. And we pour our slab and I've got room for nine, uh, canine runs outside and we have a eight and a 10 foot fence on either side of it. So it's basically a concrete pad and it's where all the indoor outdoor, it's where all the outdoor kennels will be. I got nine out there. So it's not going to fill it up. I couldn't do that here because they would. (laughs) <laughs> minus seven dude minus seven my and, and our guest is laughing because uh he's like minus seven that's yeah that was in august where he's at probably yeah <laughs> oh, man. but it, it's crispy and we're, we're supposed to stay that way till at least friday evening um for ohio that's two two three days of that's pretty odd we don't really get it that much so um i got four four dogs coming in from europe on the 2nd of February and I got a dog. So I had a guy reach out to me. He's a cop in North Carolina. This was back in like August, August or September. Hey, I, I, we imported this dog for this police department. They decided they don't want anything that bites. So would you be interested in him? And, um, he's over on kind of the mountain side of North Carolina. So I had him drive over to Tennessee and, some buddies of mine over there that are handlers and trainers tested the dog and they were like, he's good dog. Yeah. I didn't see any problems. He's, he's good to go. Um, but it's just a lot of feet dragging by me and just stupid shit. I kept putting the guy off and finally we worked it out and the dog got delivered yesterday. I regret waiting to get that dog here. He oh, is just a big German shepherd. Oh, thing. he yeah. is freaking awesome. And a killer like hard calm grips he's the kind that he's going to get on there and there's not going to be a ton of damage because he just gets in holes and he doesn't pull and he doesn't rip or anything like that um he's he's huge too and he just he's strong as shit so um i'm super happy that i got him up here i'm going to wait till the ground falls mess around with some training or tracking but I have an agency coming up on the seventh to test dogs, and I ha- I have a suspicion they'll they'll take him. Um, he's impressive to look at, and you know me, I'm not a big fan of those big shepherds, but he's just big here in the head and shoulders, and then he leans out in a nice little kind of figure, and he's strong as crap, man. Um, or I'm just getting old, one of the or both. So, what do we got going on tonight? Well, tonight, uh, we have somebody on that's uh, well-known in the gun dog community or in the Retriever Series community. Um, and our last interview was with another dog trick guy, uh, Tom. Great interview. If you haven't listened to it, um, he's, uh, it was a good interview. When we talked about his um, individual e-collar, which I actually ordered for my pet clients because it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the Tom Davis, uh, I can't remember, it's like 280C. But tonight, yeah, I think it is, um, yeah. Our guest tonight started out way back in the day, like in the 70s as a vet tech, and now is a senior consultant for um, Dogtra. Uh, Pete, how are you, man? 
I'm good. Thanks for having me. So, um, you know, you're, where are you that it's so damn cold? I'm central Minnesota. So that would be oh, about an hour. Like, you're definitely not in Torrance, California, where the <laughs> yeah. HQ is. I was, when Eric said that, I was uh, like, what? I mean, I know California gets cold, but not like that. I <laughs> could hear the accent yeah. when we were talking about the well, show. Well, I was like, what the <laughs> yeah, fuck? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I had to land. I landed in Minneapolis in the winter one time. And I went a layover and I was like, I'm never coming back here. (laughs) You know, it can be pretty brutal to say the least. And and we've had a a string of really cold weather here. I mean, it's, I'm sure waiting for this global warming to kick in. I mean, I'm just, (laughs) it's been minus 25, minus 30. Yeah. And I'm throwing a little wind. I feel like a bitch now. I'm going to leave. Yeah. No, I'm out. Pass. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, Give us uh, a little bit of your background. So starting with back in the day in the 70s, before I was even born, um, yeah. you were working as a vet tech. So <laughs> Eric's shaking his yeah. head too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, I I, uh, I look and act uh, way younger than what I really am. But uh, graduated from the local high school here, Albany, Minnesota, born and raised out in the country here. And and uh, first I started working construction jobs, uh, didn't didn't really have any aspiration to get into the dog world. But uh, I found some some liking in that. And uh, and I ended up uh, getting hired by a local veterinary clinic in uh, the city of St. Cloud. And uh, that was back before they trained you to be a vet tech. So, you know, went to school for it. So I was trained right on the job. And little did I know how much that would pay off uh, later in my life. But I worked for two different dog trainers. Uh, Lorne Martins was the first man I worked for. Lorne's in the Retriever Trainers Hall of Fame. And then I worked for the Burger Boys over at uh, Deltone Kennels, which is a very large field trial training kennel and gun dog in St. Cloud. And then I started out on my own and uh, started, uh, I was I was pretty mechanically inclined. So I built my own kennels, welded them and strung the chain link and uh, to make a long story even longer, 30 years later, I went from five dog kennel upwards to uh, close to 50 we could handle. But then it was no longer just me. I had a staff working for me and and I had a couple sons that were high school age that had to uh, pull duty out there. So uh, that's a little bit of the history of how I got to where I'm at. But then I used to use a competitor's product called Tritronics, which is now owned by Garmin. And uh, I Thinking about the 1990s, uh, they did away with something that they called their um, Team Tritronics. And uh, one of my local distributors was selling remote training callers that I bought them from. They took on the dog line and they brought some of them out to me and, and left them with me and said, let me know what you think of these. And so consequently, I uh, tried that uh, unit and I was sold on them and I started using the dog product and and got to know the owners of the company and uh, eventually, when I sold my business, which is Fisher's Kennels and Hunt Club, if you want to look it up, uh, I went to work for Dogtra as a uh, as a consultant. And uh, I'm actually not an employee. I'm a private contractor for them. Nice. Is is it still called Fisher's Kennel? Yeah, Fisher's Kennels. Yep. Dot com. That's you can cool. find it. FIS. Yeah. Pretty. Uh, Craig Klein, one of my assistants. He wasn't my main assistant. Uh, bought it. Craig was doing some part-time work for me. And a lot of people said, well, why didn't Darren buy it? He was your full-time guy. I said, Darren knew too much about the business. Mm. He knew the hours involved. So, uh, but yeah. And so we sold, I had, I was, uh, had purchased a fairly large piece of property up here as well, 360 acres. And uh, we sold 40 acres with the, our existing house. I say we, my, my wife, Barb and I, and um, 
sold that with the, the, with the kennel business and uh, the facility, so to speak, and the dog training ponds. And then we built a new home uh, on a different piece of property. Since then, I've sold off some of the property, but we still have 120 acres. So. so was there a point when you got up in the 50 kennels where you walked in there one day and was like, man, I miss <laughs> when I had like six kennels? Yeah. You know, I had an old, old customer that was uh, um, really a good guy and, and he knew the kind of hours that I put in you guys. And, and you know it with, with training dogs. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the point where I told him I was getting ready to sell the business, John Dale was his name. And John looked at me and he said, Pete, you can't work 10 hours for that many years and not suffer some job burnout. And uh, it does. It's a grind. I mean, you guys know it's it's uh, 365 days a year and um, it's it's a lot of work, but it was I wouldn't change anything, to be honest with you. So it got to me where I'm at right now. So did you struggle with the decision to sell the kennel for a minute? Um, no, because I'm one of those guys strike when the iron's hot and I had an opportunity to sell it and uh, had the opportunity to sell it on a contract for deed. I was debt free at that point in my life, had an opportunity to sell off some of the land at a, at a nice chunk of money and get some decent neighbors. I sold the property, the raw property, which is um, of some of the 360 acres. I sold that uh, to old customers. So I didn't go through oh. a realtor. I could handpick who I who my neighbors were. So. Because it's, it's not the most desirable thing to live next to, you know, because of the barking dogs, <laughs> the shooting of the guns and all of that. So it worked out really well. Um, you know, some of the things when people ask me, what do you miss about it? I miss the customer contact. A lot of these individuals that I trained dogs for over the years turned into friends. Yeah. And um, and now my days are spent uh, doing different things for Dogtra and, uh, and I like it. I got way more flexibility too, so. Oh, yeah. So when I... When we started this podcast, you know, Working Dog Radio, Ted and I trained police dogs. Um, that was kind of police and military dogs originally was what we were mostly focusing on. But we've had mm-hmm. several gun dog guys on because I'm, I've gotten real fascinated with it. Ted's over in Oklahoma, so he's pretty close to, you know, a lot of people that are involved in that. Yes. Um, <laughs> like what, what, was it, <laughs> what was it about that and meeting... Um, Mr. Martins and all them that, that you were like, man, I liked it. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a great question. I thought it was really a unique profession. That's part of it. I always had an interest in dogs that, you know, you got to have an interest in dogs, but also a very, a very independent person. And I always felt like I could be an entrepreneur and start my own business. And, uh, that takes a different breed of cat to do that as well. <laughs> and so, uh, I, I really uh, struck out not knowing, you know, God only knows when you start out, when you start with a couple dogs for training, that handful of years later, you're looking at 10 and then 20 and then 30. And then pretty soon you got to look at, you know, I might have to take any more, I'm going to have time to a tree. But, um, and that, that's one of uh, my buddy, Greg, uh, t- tells a funny story about back when we were super busy and uh, a lady called me one day and she asked me to take a dog for some boarding because we did some of that as well. But really, mostly what I did was train dogs for other people. They stayed at our facility. Most of them were Labrador Retrievers. Anyway, this woman called and, and she wanted to board the dog over the holidays. And I just said, hey, look, ma'am, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm super busy. And she said, you don't have any place at all. And I said, well, you know, everything is is absolutely full right now. And um, if I took your dog, I'd have to tie it to a tree. 
And you could hear her on the phone. She goes, honey, he can take it if you'll tie it to a tree. And I said, no, wait a minute. I'm joking. But, you know, it gets to it got to a point where you you don't realize how fast 30 years goes either. And and now I've done this dog trick gig uh, since 2009. And and that seems like a long time already. So but I was doing work for them uh, for dog trick back when I still had my business. But I wasn't doing it to the extent I am now. So when you were uh, in, like you said, you at your uh, Fisher's Kennels and Hunt Club, it was mostly Labrador Retrievers. Back when you were coming up through the gun dog world, did you have a lot of different breeds that you were messing with? Uh, over the course of time, uh, you know, with the amount of dogs that I saw, I trained some of everything. And um, I, I ended up training a lot of uh, uh, pet dogs late in my career because what would happen is, uh, an individual would go back to the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and I had trained the retriever, and uh, they'd get home and, and let the dog out, and they had nice control over it, and the neighbor would walk over, and they'd see what the dog was doing, and then, of course, they'd say, well, what's that box hanging around his neck now, too? Mm-hmm. When he left a couple months ago, he didn't have that, and I've always said, you know, with training of the remote training caller, a lot of times it's like uh, putting a, a second brain on a dog, and some of them I say, you know, it's like putting a first brain on them, but the neighbor next door would walk over with a pet and say, would he train my dog? And so I did a lot of pet dog training late in my career also. Um, so I, I, I did some of everything, some spaniels, some pointers, but really the, uh, in the Midwest, the retriever is king and the Labrador retriever is there's a lot of breeders. There's a lot of trainers up in this neck of the woods. Also, there's a lot of individuals that come from down South in winter or summer up here, so to speak. Uh, to get out of the extreme heat. There's tons of retriever guys that come up here in the summertime to run events and train dogs. So retriever is king in this, in this neck of the woods. It's funny because, um, because of TSA and some of the other places for guys like Ted and I, Labradors are like gold bars. It's about how much they cost for us to get. And, and about how much for them we can charge for them. People are like, can I, can I get a lab? I'm like, Good luck. The between all the, yeah. the retriever guys having them, and then certain groups of people, they can get a hold of them. I just, and I'm a pretty good networker. I I struggle to have, find a good network of labs for for what we do. So most people call me. And I I said, no, nah, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. Um, but you guys don't seem to have a problem. Well, there's. You know, there's a lot of indiscriminate breeding going on uh, with the Labrador Retriever, just like every other breed, especially since COVID hit. I mean, um, everybody ran out and got some kind of dog. They emptied the shelters. Uh, what I would call marginal Labrador breedings that might be uh, $200, $300 puppies with none of the health clearances. And I'm big into the health clearances for the hereditary defects when you breed a Labrador. And there's a ton of defects that go with them. Uh, these dogs that were a couple of years ago would have been giveaway puppies. People are now getting eight, nine hundred dollars for them. I mean, that's what's happened with the dog market since COVID hit. And, uh, you know, I guess it's a good thing for the dog trainers because every dog trainer I know has been booked up on dogs for for months. And we've had really good years with dog for company. Also, you know, people have run okay. out and purchased remote training collars. So before we take our first break, is there any dog that you can remember that came through any of your programs, it was maybe even way back in the day, not your typical 
dog and you were like, come on, man. And then the dog turned out to be like a freak of nature. Yeah. Uh, one that sticks out in my mind was a couple of construction worker uh, brothers that brought a dog to me and the dog's name was Bo and Bo was a mixture. He looked Labrador, but he didn't have any papers on him. And uh, they had taken him to a couple different dog trainers and, and they said, you know what, we just, we like to stick to the registered AKC registered dogs. And, um, you know, so, and I was starting out in my business and I said, you know, I'll look at him. And so I looked at him and he seemed like a really nice dog. And I said, what the hell do I care if he's got papers or not? You know, the dog doesn't know when he's out retrieving your duck or pheasant that he's got papers. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's, you know, and what do you care? You're the guy playing the feed bill. You're the guy paying the, the dog training. What do you care? And so I took that dog and, and, uh, and trained him into quite a nice gun dog. And you can get a, a, um, a number when you run him in different events, even though he's not registered, you can get a, a number, so to speak. So these dogs, and this dog worked his way all the way up to becoming a master hunter. And uh, that was pretty interesting to see a dog that other trainers had said, hey, you know, I don't want to take him because he wasn't registered. And he ended up being a great meat dog for these guys and a great pet. So, you know, I've, I've always, I've seen some dogs that come in with great credentials and they're three, $4,000 Labrador puppies. And, you know, a big part of it is, is it's, you know, we want to go out and get really good genetics. And you guys know this as well as anybody. But if you just take them and put them in a kennel in the backyard and say, I've got this $4,000 puppy. If you don't have them trained, if you don't know what you're doing with them and associate, do a lot of association training, you've just wasted a lot of money. Go down to the pound and save a life, so to speak. So um, uh, this dog turned out well because the guys were good with handling him and they invested some money in, in training him. Good old Bo. Yeah. That's funny. We're going to go ahead and take our first break. and we come back, we're going to jump into uh, Dogtra, how you got involved. And we're going to talk a lot of stuff about e-collar. And maybe maybe a little bit of myths and uh, some things that you have seen over the years and how it's been used, um, how you've changed your style of using it, how I've changed my style. And um, so we'll be right back. Hits Canine Training Conference. This is America's premier canine training seminar packed to the brim with the world's best instructors and me and Eric. All covering important topics. There's no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, and trainers. HITS 2022 is being held in Orlando, Florida this year, August 16th through the 19th. And I know how you guys are. Everybody waits the last minute. And in the post-Rona world, everybody's training budgets are being cut and everybody's deciding whether they're going to be able to get to go or not. So don't wait because they're not going to have an infinite number of spots and the price goes up after a certain date. So get signed up as soon as possible. It's in Orlando. We'll see you there. Be sure to hit them up. Hits K9, letter K number nine dot net. One of the best relationships we have in this podcast and in this industry is with the great people down at Kinetic Dog Food. The story of Kinetic uh, Performance Dog Food is pretty simple. They wanted to make a better premium dog food for the dogs that need it the most. Their goal is to give every working and sporting dog a higher energy level better performance, and better overall health through superior nutrition. So they formulated a line of food based on what they consider to be the optimal profile of a performing of performance dog. They've done tons of research on this. This isn't their first rodeo. These guys know what they're doing. If you're a kennel, they will come to your kennel. They will see the problems that you have. They will check out what works for the dogs that you have. Um, they're amazing people to work with. They drop ship a pallet right to you if you want. Um, I know a lot of guys that use them. There's a bunch of different formulas on there. And uh, 32K might not be for your dogs. Maybe the 20 
uh, 6K works. They can adjust it. They'll give you the right ideas what to do in different parts of the year. Winter's different than summer. It's uh, it's really a well-run, good dog food um, company, kineticdogfood.com. Be sure to check them out on social media too, man. They're, they're amazing folks, kineticdogfood.com. By now, you've probably all heard my story at least once. I'm usually getting tagged by dogs or hurting myself. So this next product is like near and dear to me because I actually use it. Uh, Quick Turn by Vet Care. It does great for keeping small things from turning into big ones. I use it at the kennel for uh, clients' dogs that have some issues with skin stuff or have food allergies or have environmental allergies. Works great. Keeps hot spots from making giant hot spots. And it keeps my working dogs who inevitably find magnificent ways to hurt themselves from turning it into a giant vet visit stops little issues from becoming big ones. So it comes in a spray, it comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. It's great for creating a protective barrier and promoting wound healing. You really only have to use it like once a day. So there's no reason not to have it in the vehicle. Since it's temperature stable, you don't got to worry about it getting hot, getting cold or anything like that. So put it in your first aid kit or put it in your cabinet. Vetcare.us on the internet, quick derm by vetcare on the inner on Instagram and on Facebook, and then hit them up with the discount code one zero WDR for 10% off your first order. So my entire time that I was a handler or a trainer in law enforcement, the cars at my department in the departments that I trained all had American aluminum accessory kennels in the cars, different cars, man, Dodge chargers, all Ford models, some Chevys, uh, SUVs, cars, everything. We loved American aluminum accessories. Um, it's a great, product, a great company. They've been serving uh canine law enforcement community for over 20 years. If you check out their uh, website, EZ, that's the letter Z, EZrideronline.com. They got testimonials. They got videos on how to, they got a list of everything they have. Uh, just today, we made a post on the working dog radio social media showing a dog that survived a really bad crash because of the American aluminum kennel in the back of the car. Check them out online, guys. Easyrideronline.com. Just let them do their thing, man. Whatever car you got for your work, your patrol car, get a hold of them, American Aluminum Accessories, and get the best in the business. Next up comes uh, training courses online from our friends down at Highland Canine Training, Jason and Aaron Ferguson. So in the post-Rona world, uh, training budgets have been getting cut. People aren't going to be able to travel, whether it be instructors or they be canine handlers and supervisors going somewhere else for training. So Highland has announced a lot of online training courses. One of those that sticks out to me is their police supervisor canine course. And it's no secret that one of the problems with canine tends to be some of the supervision issues. This course is specifically designed for administrators and covers utilization as well as liability and FLSA issues. The course can be taken at your convenience and you'll receive a certificate of completion at the end. When you go to Tactical Police Canine Training, that's letter K number nine, training.com, and use the discount code WDR30, you'll get 30% off of that course. All right, everybody, Working Dog Radio, we are back with Pete Fisher, um, who has been around a couple years uh, in dogs here and there from the 70s, started as a vet tech, got in training some um, retriever dogs with a couple of different mentors, started his own business. Bought half of Minnesota in property and, and got lucky and sold it all out. Um, so how, how is it that you hooked up with Dogtra, became a field staff representative, <clears throat> representative for them? And what exactly does that mean? Yeah, uh, good question. The, um, 
as I stated earlier, uh, a fairly large distributor of remote training collars up here in the Midwest was called RFG Distributing. So they were a major dog food distributor. They sold all of the Tritronics product and uh, they took on the dog trail line and dropped a couple of them off at my place because I knew these people really well. And I actually trained uh, the owner's dogs. And um, and that's how I got my first experience with with dog trail. And so at the point where they dissolved this team Tritronics uh, that I was involved with, they used to have this. This might be before your guys' time. Do you remember the the magazine, the remote trainer they used to put out? Tritronics did. Yeah, uh, we we had a guest on here, Steve Stoops, who was on the cover of it at one point. Yeah, well, I wrote for that magazine for a while. Uh, Chris Chantlin was the editor, and he was the marketing guru over at Tritronics when they were in Tucson. So this was long before Garmin bought him out. And so that was my kind of my, and I wrote for a, a, a national publication called Pheasants Forever. I wrote the gun dog column. So uh, an individual that was running Dogtra at the time, Mark is his name, uh, called me one day and he had seen one of my uh, uh, articles in Pheasants Forever magazine. And he said, hey, I'd, I'd, I'd like you to come out and work the SHOT Show. And he knew I was using Dogtra product. And so I went out and worked a shot show, if you can believe this, without ever meeting this guy face to face. <laughs> that was, you know, they mailed me the tickets. That was before email, so to speak. And um, and I went out and, and worked the first shot show for them and just built a history with them and started testing product, helping them with lots of different things. And um, eventually Mark left and, and his uh, nephews now run the company. And uh, the the original owner, uh, the founder of, of Dogtra, passed away about, oh, that's going to be probably eight or nine years ago. And his sons run the company now. And so I got to know uh, those two individuals. And um, over the course of time, we kind of had a, a handshake agreement. If I ever decided to sell my business and wanted to do something else, I could kind of work for him full time. And so that's kind of how I ended up in the position where I'm at right now. What year was that first shot show you went to? Uh, the first, let me think here. Uh, it was the year, the January, right after nine 11. So, okay. Yeah. That was the very first one. And I worked every one of them up until, uh, 2019 and in 29 in 2020, it was canceled. And now, uh, uh, excuse me, in 2021, it was canceled 2020. It wasn't canceled. And that was the last one I worked. And so it was canceled uh, in 2021, and now they just held it uh, a couple of weeks ago here. Yeah, yeah, I just, I remember seeing all the videos and pictures. You always know when SHOT Show is going on, because uh, Facebook and Instagram is filled with SHOT Show. Um, so, Ted, you got a question? Yeah, so Pete, like, since you've been around, like, kind of from the inception of a lot of these, like, companies, because that's the, you know, there's really, like, three large manufacturers of e-collars and at one point like everything was kind of you know all the same I, at my old facility we had an e-collar it may have been my older than me um that it was one of the old tritronics had a leather strap on it it was a leather collar and it had like the battery was separate from the actual stimulation unit and i mean it was like the size of like my iphone i mean it was massive and um the remote had one button on it and it looked like the old phone from like saved by the bell like with the giant antenna on it and yeah i was like i i find i got it to work and that thing is hot like i mean <laughs> yeah. like real hot yeah, you can <laughs> and, weld with them <laughs> uh it was rough and at the time yeah. the person that owned it was like i think i've got the extra things for it to go on the bottom i'm like what 
Hey, you know, and he was like, you had yeah, to put I, different colored ones in there for different yeah, stim levels, right? That yeah, well, yeah. He, he had the, I guess it was the black one, so it, it was rough. Uh, so <laughs> since you've been around at that time, like, how have how has e collars changed technology wise, and then will inevitably lead into how we've changed? We'd use them now versus how we used to back in the day. But talk about how things have changed from when I what I felt a couple of years ago to yeah. where we're at today. Uh, they've, they've changed a lot, to say the least. And, you know, an individual that I need to mention his name and 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 uh, some you may have run into him at some point, Chad James. And Chad used to work for Tritronics. He actually ran Dogtra for a year or two. And um, this man uh, was an elect, uh, electrical technician, electronics technician with the old Tritronics. And this individual, he got to be a friend of mine and taught me more about the inner workings of, of a remote training caller than anybody I've ever met. And a uh, very, very smart man. But uh, dating back to the earliest units that I ever used was the old uh, Tritronics, the A170 and the A180. And that's probably about what you were you were uh, using the generation after that because those first units didn't have any way to change the stimulation level. And um, then eventually they made them so they had these uh, different colored and numbered prongs or plugs that they put in them. And there was one through five. And then eventually they made it so you could change the, the screw on contact point. That was the next way they were changed the intensity on it. But really, the, the greatest change that, that happened in the e-collar world is when we figured out how to change the stimulation level on the transmitter. Because those old models that we're talking about, you had to go out and catch the dog and take the unit off them to change the intensity level. Oh and obviously, God. at that point, you've, you've, you've lost the moment, to say yeah. the least. So really, the, the biggest innovation in the remote training collar world in, in my era was the, the ability to put the stimulation level uh, on the on the transmitter. And so you could change the level as you're working with the dog. And now every uh, manufacturer has that. Uh, that's nothing unique. In fact, is it, I don't know of any training collar company that doesn't have that anymore. Yeah, so when that's did they, probably the biggest change. When did they start figuring out how to do multiple dogs on one remote? Uh, you know, um, I don't know, but I mean, the two dog systems have been around with dog trip for quite a few years. And so when I got involved with them in the years of, uh, right, right after, uh, 2001, 2002, we were already making two dog units back then. Hmm. Were they, uh, I'm assuming that most of that was because of the, uh, gun dog world. Correct. Having yeah. multiple they, dog don't, units. Yeah, and, and really the two-dog systems, we sell more of them. Uh, the trainers that I've been around, and I've been a lot around a lot of different trainers over the years, most trainers I know work one dog, one one at a time. Yeah, they don't. So the, the multiple use, uh, you know, the multi-units, those are more made for people that are using them on dog walks or out in the field. Let's say I've got two or three dogs I'm upland hunting with, searching for birds in front of me, and I want to control two or three or four of them at a time. But I don't run into many trainers. And, and I, uh, even though I've got units that are two and three and four dog systems, when I'm working my dogs, I'm normally only focused on one dog and I only want training collar on one. Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, there is the one collar that, that Ted and I both got that has, um, I can't believe I just forgot the What's that? 
3500X. Yeah, 3500 has, you know, different buttons, different stems. You can do two, two dogs. So I'll be out at this one area that I go to with a dog off leash, letting them run, you know, run, go into the woods, do the bathroom and all that. And then I can correct a dog for barking in the van because I don't want, I want quiet. And uh, that's mm-hmm. been amazing without switching anything. Uh, boom, I'm boom, bing. Find the remote. <laughs> oh yeah, it's awesome. I love yeah. it. But it's still one dog out at a time, and the ability to make a dog lay down separately, you know, in the in the van. So yeah, and those transmitters with the dual control on them that we're talking about, I think we're the only ones that make a unit like that right now. I think everybody else, you got to flip a toggle switch or push different buttons, yep. and if you don't change the stimulation level when you go to the next dog whatever level you've left it at that dog's getting it. It's like taser when taser came out where you could have multiple cartridges and there's certain thing you would, you could do that you would, if you shot two people with the taser, you would tase both of them. You could potentially tase them both. And my whole thing during training always was, Hey, you should be controlling your friend. Tell your friend to stop being a douche and you won't get it. So, uh, <laughs> I, I always like that. <laughs> But uh, exactly, <laughs> the perfect analogy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. So um, obviously, the battery stuff has changed too. Uh, like, is the like some of the batteries that we have now are just tiny with that are and recharge really well. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna like t- start into like the how the training changed. So back when you started using an e collar, you know, and you know, where did you start using them? I assume it was in the, the hunting dog realm. And then at what point did you introduce it in the pet side? And how was that received? Because I assume at the time people were like, you want to do what? You want to put what on this dog? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Even now I get people like, what's on his neck? I'm like, don't worry about it. It's his yeah. iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Walkie talkie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I started using them and, and really uh, one of the reasons, in my opinion, why the remote training collar got a bad rap early on was what we talked about earlier. They were one level and they were high. And so really it was just there was no finesse there at all. You guys, it was just a punishment tool. And once they changed it so that we had what we call variable intensity, now we could work with uh, dogs on a very low level. And we, we didn't have to use that real high level on them because we didn't back then you couldn't change it. I mean, that was, that was the way it was. And so nowadays uh, with, with the ability to set it at a real low level, we can train, in my opinion, almost every dog, even the dogs that people would bring to me and they'd say, you know, this dog's extremely timid. I don't know if you're going to be able to use the training collar on him. And I'd say to him, actually, that's probably going to be a very good candidate for the remote training collar because we're not, we're going to use the remote training collar. We're going to use a lot of finesse with it. And I went to a number of seminars by, by some of the best e-collar guys in this country, Mike Lardy and Andy Attar, two of the best retriever guys uh, uh, that are around. And, and both of them are still doing uh, training and, and doing seminars. And I learned a lot from those individuals. And uh, somebody that you guys probably know is a dear friend of mine. And he and I have spent a lot of time together as Pat Nolan. And oh. uh And uh, Pat and I go back a long, long ways. And, you know, Pat's roots are with retrievers. And and, uh, so Pat worked a lot of shot shows with me. And uh, he and I became really good friends. And we would sit and talk dog training and and how we use them and why we use them and that kind of thing. And Pat's a very uh, cutting edge type of guy. And so he's a a 
uh, as we would talk to different trainers that would stop by our booths, Pat would always say, you know, before you put the collar on the dog and start thumping them around is what he'd call it. You know, there's so much groundwork you got to do before you put it on the dog. And the other thing that we would talk about is in the retriever world, we always did the three-step process. We taught that dog to turn off light stimulation by come to me, go stationary, go away from me. And a lot of times I'll see the pet dog trainers will start out and they'll just use it for recall. And that's, I mean, that's a big part. I mean, a dog that doesn't come on a skull is a dog that's in trouble, in my opinion. But if you ever watched a, a, somebody that uses a, the e-collar in a full program, they use a lot of primary pressure. They use a lot of secondary pressure. And they use light stimulation on the dog, but they also use it not just for recall, but teaching that dog to come to me, go stationary, and go away from me. Then you've truly got a dog that's truly collar conditioned with a remote training collar. And we can build all of our program off of that. And they see us stopping our dogs out on a blind retrieve at 200 yards. And they don't understand that first that started at two feet. It didn't start at 200 yards. But that remote training collar gives us the ability to reinforce that command at a great distance. And so I've said this a million times to trainers as I've met them, is you go find yourself a good retriever trainer that knows how to use a remote training collar and spend an afternoon with them, and you'll learn a lot. Because that's really where the remote training collar got used. Uh, a guy by the name of Rex Carr out in California is the guy who started a lot of these remote training collar programs, and he was a retriever guy. And the Lardy programs and all of them, Danny Farmer, have all been built off of that. You, you use a really good word earlier, finesse. Um, one thing about me as I've progressed uh, through the years of dog training, police dogs, pet dogs, and everything, is I've definitely become a, a much more finesse person with the e-collar. Because when I first started in, in canine, it was 2005. And we my place, I've told the story a lot, but we've still, we're doing, we had the e-collar go get the e-collar out of the drawer because your dog is an outing or your dog uh won't uh do the re you know the running recall that we have to do for certification or and we even had the prong collar we had like one of each and it was always a break and and um so when i got into doing pet dogs that's not going to work right so i i started learning from other people and getting a lot more smoother and more finesse with it. And I too do, I start with recall and then I, I teach go away out, go to place, you know, uh, go from one place to another, um, a bunch of things like that with it. And I've gotten way smoother with it, which has transitioned then back over to, um, to the police dog stuff. Uh, we still see a lot of folks in the police dog world that, don't really just don't really get it. Uh, they just don't know how to use it. Right. Um, so when you see how things have changed, cause I know you work with a lot of police guys and, and, and uh, working dog people all over the place. How do you think you've been able to impact them in their knowledge of the e-collar? Well, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's um, finesse is a good word, word to use with uh, that. I used earlier about using their training collar. But, you know, a lot of that comes with age also. You know, it's a little bit like as you get older, you, you figured out that the volume dial on the radio goes left. So, mm. you know, the same thing is, is uh, holds true with the remote training collar. And we don't necessarily have to use the highest level intensity 
I don't have to see that dog yelping. Uh, I don't have to see a, a vocal reaction. I know that I'm reinforcing command, commands with this dog. But, you know, the training collar itself, I, I used it on every dog that came into our facility. And if I had anybody that said, you know, I'm against the remote training collar and I don't want you using it on my dog, <clears throat> I wouldn't take the dog. Yeah, I'm, the I'm same not way. much of a yeah. believer in it. Yeah, I just I'm won't. I'm the same way. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Yeah. That little you know, tiny then, dog I told you about at the beginning has got a remote training collar on her mm -hmm. downstairs and she literally is this big. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, uh, it, it's just part of the program is the way I look at it. <clears throat> and, and you, this is hard to believe, but, it, and, and I think you guys will understand it, but maybe the listeners, this, I could, this might resonate with them. I still run into to trainers, professional trainers that say, I only use the remote training collar on difficult dogs. I can't, yeah. I've, I've, yeah. there's, there's a fair amount of professionals that still talk that way. And, you know, when, when you get, get into the program, so to speak, and you see the value of that, uh, of that tool and how it can modify that dog's behavior, uh, to not learn how to use it properly and, and get the, the best results you can out of the dog. I've, I've, that's still hard for me to believe that we have professionals walking around in this day and age yet. And I'm not talking about any particular sector, canine retriever, pointers, spaniels, pet dog. I don't care. What, I, what I'm saying is, is if you call yourself a professional and you are uh, saying to me that I only use it on difficult dogs, you need to go spend some time with somebody that knows how to use a remote training collar. And it's like everybody, every other, you know, um, line of work. There's, there's good ones. There's good people out there with them and there's bad ones. And there's a whole lot of them in between. But, you know, I think almost every trainer would benefit by going out and spending some time with a good e-collar trainer and learning a, an in-depth program that we've been talking about. Not just burn and learn. That's what we call it. You know, burn and learn, teach them to come back. You know, we most of us could figure that out pretty quick. The finesse comes in using that low level of stimulation and getting that dog to go different directions for us, go stationary and not always using it as direct pressure either. What I said earlier, using it as secondary pressure. And to go spend some time with a retriever guy, that's where a lot of these have been developed. And and I've taken different people with me and say, just watch this, how we're going to do this. And they'll say, well, why do you do it? You know, why did why did you he took a wrong cast 100 yards out from you? And rather than applying stimulation, direct pressure for him running the wrong way, you tweeted hard on the whistle. You turned him and sat and you gave him a nick for sit. That's called secondary reinforcement. And they'll say, well, why does that work? And I'll say, you just watch how this works. Rather than applying the direct pressure and watching that dog run the wrong way, it's more controlled. You teach him turn around, sit, you give him the nick for sit. Then you give him the cast again. And it just it just works. And, and to see the dogs over the course of my life, to see the dogs that were running in, in the retriever world back in the 70s, compared to the dogs that are running today in the hunt test and field trial world, they are light years ahead of of those dogs back in the seventies. And the reason being the remote training collar and better programs that are using the tra training collar and how to implement the reinforcement of commands. You know, you started talking about finesse and um, Eric had a comment and then you just said something that made me remind it. Like one of the things that I try and hammer home with my canine guys and my pet people is the idea of timing. And, you know, I kind of say that with like you and being an exception, but like a lot of dudes in like Eric's like age bracket that are canine 
are terrible. You just don't play video games, man. I don't either. Okay, but like, <laughs> like I find that all these younger trainers are very, very good at timing, right? So it's mm-hmm. much easier to teach them. My two interns, like one of my interns is like 20 something and he plays video games and he's a ninja with timing. I didn't teach him anything about timing. Like he picked it up like instantly. Um, and then, cause the, what you just described is some high level shit with an e-collar and just getting like most pet people, like describing that entire behavior chain and the concept of, cause there, there's people, there'll be people listen to this that, cause we were just talking about, we were like, what the hell is secondary pressure? But <laughs> it reminded me of a dog that we trained recently, you know, cause you talked about, Oh, I don't agree with e-collar people, those people. And then I had a dog, the owner was great. The dog is super sweet. It's a solid white pit bull and she was deaf. And I mean like deaf as like Helen Keller, except she was hmm. not blind. But so, I mean, this dog was just deaf. And I was like, how the hell am I going to train this dog? <laughs> like, and we used an e-collar and it works fantastic. And the owner, no, no lie. She, we give her the dog and we turn the dog loose and she freaks out. I'm like, no, nah, just paid her back. Hit the vibrate button. She comes back, the dog's mocking back to the owner. And I thought the girl was gonna cry. <laughs> like mm-hmm. she's like, Oh my god, I can like her, I can take her out. And I was like, I don't take her with this fucking traffic. So <laughs> you can't hear it. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I, I would talk to that dog. Her name was Cannon. And I would talk to her. I'm like, I don't know why I'm talking to you. Like <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting that you say that uh, as like the training has progressed and you know, spending time with gun dog guys. Um one of the like I think skill set or one of the one of the benefits of using these e-callers that I find is that no matter how mad I am <laughs> or motivated, um, that stimulation level is the same and the timing is like I was saying is much, much easier. And so with pet people, like because I know they get super frustrated and they want to mash the button. Um, and you know, it, I find that the results are much, much cleaner because the behavior you just described, like Nick for the sit. I mean, you're effectively using it as a marker. And so for me, it makes a ton of sense that I'm already scheming. I'm like, oh, really? So I'm already kind of like thinking in my head about some advanced e-color work with a dog I have going right now. Um, But what for the the police officers and for like search and rescue trainers, because I can see where that would be extremely valuable. um, What's the process look like that of training that that behavior that you just described? You know, before I ever strap the remote training collar on a dog, I think there's the the basic obedience has to be done. You know, the dog doesn't know. I call it the sensation of the static electricity when you apply it. He doesn't know that. He's never felt it. He or she. So we have to teach the dog what we what we want. The dog with a conventional method. And so I I wish I had a a dollar um, for every time I said this is the remote training collars used to reinforce commands the dog already knows. And so that tool doesn't go on the dog, in my opinion, until the dog has been obedience trained. Yeah, I could take a dog and, and, and do no obedience training, put him on a long lead, and I'll, I'll bet you within a very short period of time, with just some light tap, 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 and some recall with the rope, fish on a line, teaching him to come in, I can teach him turn off pressure pretty quick. And they, and, but that's, that's not the whole program. You know what I mean? And what I tell people is, you know, when you transition to the remote training collar, the better your obedience is with that dog, the easier and the smoother that remote training collar, uh, we call it e-collar conditioning in the business. I don't know if, if in the canine world, I don't know if they refer to it that way, 
Mm-hmm. But in the retriever world, we call it e-collar conditioning. And, and that's what I've said a couple of times before. Uh, you, you have, have any ever, have you seen the, the book that Jim Dobbs wrote? You know, it was basically the, the Bible uh, that, you know, it was sold by Tritronics back in the day. And it was that yeah. three-step process that we're talking yes. about. Yeah. And Jim Dobbs is still around yet, you guys. He is, <laughs> he runs, he re- runs retriever hunt tests. Uh, and his, uh, I think he still sells everything, every e-collar, but he sells a lot of dog to product. And um, um, Dobbs Dogs, I think is the name of his, his website. But he wrote that book that uh, was the Bible for a remote training collar. If I remember, it was kind of a brownish gold colored book and it was a big book. And uh, that was that three-step process. He used a little different method than, um, you know, than what a lot of retriever guys might use nowadays. But that's how things have evolved. Not to say that his method wasn't valuable, but uh, he just did it a little different. But the most valuable part of it was it was a three-step process that you e-collar condition this dog. Not just teach him to turn off pressure by coming back to you. You know, that's how I posted a video on my Instagram story today. Uh, we're working uh, several police dogs and we're working on obedience. And I started, uh, we start by um, clicker training. We mark and Eric does, and Eric will talk about his process where they play the the go get a game. And that's how, and my trainers today are, are, in, are uh, we call it introducing, but we're just introducing the e-caller to these dogs. And you can almost immediately see, um, and I had one of the handlers there today too. You can almost immediately see how much more crisp they are. <laughs> I mean, cause before we've been doing just, you know, basic clicker, whatever else, but when we start layering on using it as a gas pedal, you get some quick, sharp obedience very, very, very quickly within, mm-hmm. I think this dog I have now, his name's Oslan. And I think within six reps, so we're talking less than a minute. This dog was like, okay, except he's super smart. And, but it, he was on it. He was about it. He understood 110% what was being asked, how to work, how it worked. And everything got super fast. Eric has his method too. Yeah. And I train, uh, like I was talking about the uh, recall first, I train everything with a leash and collar first. And then I layer the e-collar over stuff that he's supposed to know. Um, got, and the thing is, if, if like the police dog guys would really take the time and sit down with somebody who knows what they're really doing and going over it, they will be shocked at how low the pressure is that they have to use on that. Yeah. So I, I tell people like when we're walking a dog on a leash, I show them how I have them walk in a heel and I got two or three fingers on the leash. My thing mentally is I have two or three fingers real light on the e-collar. I mean, not, not that I'm holding it like that, but my, pressure on there is as light as me holding the leash with three fingers. It's not a crusher. I mean, we can, if we have to, if we're saving the dog's life from running into traffic or something like that, we can definitely do what we have to do. And the other thing, and I don't know if you know about this, but the other thing that's really, really weird in the police world is they won't use food. A lot of them won't use food. Yeah. The, the power of of once you layer an e-collar over the power of combining e-collar and food reward is it's amazing how fast your reps and and everything will go up. Um, When you first started getting into all this was food, was food a thing? No, (laughs) no, it was not. No, no, 
they would never did it back then. Never. And, and now I do it a lot and my own mm -hmm. dogs. Uh, and I've got one dog that's a uh, one retriever by the name of Trey. That's a master hunter. He was all as a puppy. He was all started with food. Mm -hmm. I've got little videos of him at 10, 12 weeks of age, casting onto platforms, going left, right, back into the box, coming out, getting his treat. You know what I mean? And then I start them. Uh, I don't recommend this to uh, everybody, but I've used a remote training collar quite a bit in my day. So I start these dogs on my own, very young on a remote training collar, mm -hmm. very young. That's I've got the little IQ unit on them and I start reinforcing, but I got dogs and you guys know the, the type of canines. I, I, my retrievers got their American bread field trial dogs. They got a lot of drive and I want a dog like that. That fits my training type and my personality. And I want a dog that'll run through a brick wall to get me a bird. And so those dogs with high drive like that, they take a lot of, will take a real aggressive training program and aggressive. I don't mean by uh, harsh. I just mean where I'm expecting a lot out of that dog. And he's going to give that to me because of his personality. And so I start these, my dogs on a very, uh, on the small IQ dog tree unit. I use the pager vibration, uh, but I use a lot of food early on. And once they get older, I kind of wean them off the food. But I could walk mm -hmm. out and get Trey yeah. right now and I could do some left and right healing with, and, and I could have just a one little kernel of food in my hand and I've got his attention wherever, <laughs> wherever I go with it. So um, back in the day to answer your question, no, hell no. Who, who would have thought it? You were a gun dog trainer. You know what I mean? Everything was by force, you know, get them to do this, force fetch this, force that. But you got to learn with age, you, you learn to become more of a finesse trainer. And also you get exposed to so many different types of dogs that you can't just always use. You know, we use the same recipe, but boy, I modified it almost for every dog because every dog's personality is different. And everybody that, that brought the dog in had di different aspirations. You know, I had individuals that um, they could afford to, to, to buy and train the most expensive dog uh, that, that they wanted. Uh, but all they wanted was a dog just to go fetch their ducks and, and pheasants. They didn't care about running for ribbons. So you learn to uh, train the dog based on his temperament, but also what the owner wants out of him, because every one of those is different as well. Yeah, it's funny you say uh, about changing and everything. We've had Pat Nolan on the show twice. And the first time was, uh, I don't know, man, like episode three or four, five or six, something like that. It was early on less we than were 20 at, yeah we we're in vegas at a is at a uh at a oh. conference and he sat down and um he goes i never i never would have thought i would be a food trainer yet here i am he goes i never thought i would be a clicker trainer yet here i am You've, you know he's all the always about evolving and it's funny you yeah, mentioned the, the finesse part is because the dogs that ted and i deal with if some of them They'll take all the, they'll, they'll take the force. They'll, you can do it. And then some of them uh, are going to turn that pressure off through forward aggression. And so you, if you're not finessing some of these dogs, you're going to get stitches. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and I personally think on some of those dogs, when you do that, it's almost irreversible where it becomes their way to get away from things pretty quickly, even though they hadn't done it before. Um, they then they quickly learned that I'll take a calf right now, and and get yeah. you to leave me alone. And Ted yeah. Ted and I both dealt with one dog that um, went to a guy and he'd mm -hmm. never tried me ever, 
went to this guy and the guy decided he was going to put a prong collar on him. The dog had never had a prong collar on oh. and make him let go. Um, I had to get him another dog because the dog put him in the hospital. Yeah. And then, nice know, dog. And it, <laughs> he, he, yeah, real good dog. But he, but then he went back to the vendor. He tagged somebody in there in the calf. He goes to another place, tags another person in the calf. He had never done that. And it just becomes, you know, and, and I it sold him as a green dog. And I was like, guys, you should have just slow rolled that a little bit. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, you know, in, in my line of work, I, I rarely saw that. I would see some, uh, I had a, a Chesapeake Bay Retriever that a guy left for some training. And he, and that was one. The, bad those will bite you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Chesapeake will bite you. Bit, <laughs> and he was a big dog too. I mean, he, he's the kind of dog that he could have retrieved a basketball. He had that kind of head, wow. but you know, I, in my years of, of, uh, uh, and that was probably one of the worst ones I ever dealt with. And we actually padlocked his kennel so that one of the assistants or my kids wouldn't come in there and, and flip his kennel open and let him out because he was that crazy. Uh, I could handle him and, and the owner could, but I mean, he just wasn't a, a dog that I didn't think you'd ever be able to take out in suburbia yeah. uh, down in Maple Grove, Minnesota and <laughs> take him for a walk. I don't know what he, I mean, I saw what he tried to do to me the first day I had him there and he chased me all around a truck. <laughs> so, but um, I had an experience and you guys are going to know who this individual is. Uh, and he also turned into a, a pretty good friend. I went down and spent uh, a number of days with Mike Rutland down at his place. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mike takes these dogs off the battlefield. And uh, because I think they can't be rehomed. And I saw some of these dogs and uh, I don't know what the hell they did to these dogs to, to get them over, to use them over in Afghanistan or, or what. But I mean, these dogs were just um, psycho. And, uh, and I, I think he, he just keeps them there and lets them live out their life is what yeah, he does. We, uh, I'll give a little confession here. We actually had a dog retire out of a department that couldn't, um, he couldn't stay with his handler and, uh, he definitely, he is not one of those dogs. Um, he went through some pretty severe rioting and stuff in, uh, the, mm-hmm. in the central portion of the country. Uh, we sent him down to Ritland's place. There's pictures of me dropping him off. And the only person that could handle him was Alicia. And uh, me and Ritland are standing way, yeah, way over <laughs> side out here. And uh, the dog, you know, before he would died, um, the, he they had him running around out in the field playing fetch, doing stupid German Shepherd pet things. And mm-hmm. uh, so... They, they do. I mean, he, he, they do some good work down there and, and, and it's the same thing. It's dogs that are just like Eric was describing, like, then they have gotten away with it. And, you know, those dogs can be, and usually are handled by a very, very small population of people. And there just ain't that many of us out there. Like I can't, I can handle dogs like that, but fuck, I don't want to live with one. (laughs) Break break glass in case. What are we going to do with that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was uh, an interesting trip, and and I knew Mike before that through some phone calls, and he uses the dog for product, and that was I actually saw the piece that was on sixty minutes, um, and I was up on my elliptical machine up in my exercise room one night, and I got off my uh, elliptical and I walked down and I called Alex, the owner of Dogtra, and I said, hey, you got to tune into sixty minutes whenever it comes on in California, we've got to get to know, we've got to get to know this guy, and so. <laughs> Um, back then Mike was on LinkedIn and I reached out to him on LinkedIn and we connected 
And about a year later, I got a phone call from somebody that was writing a magazine article and they were interviewing Mike and um, they wanted to know about remote training callers. They had called Dogtra. Dogtra gave them my number. And so I had the product shipped out to this writer so he could look at it and, and take pictures of it. And, um, he, and he was very appreciative, whatever the writer's name was. And he said, can I do anything for you? And I said, yeah, I want to meet Mike Ritland. So I want you to be my go-between. And he said, sure, I'll, uh, I'll give him your phone number. And do, do you guys know Mike at all? Yeah, he's been oh, on yeah. here a couple of times. We've been to his okay. house, been on his podcast. Okay, so he's, he's classic military. Mm-hmm. And uh, five minutes later, uh, after that email exchange and phone call, Mike called me. And we got to know each other, and we spent time together. And uh, I was, we shot a whole bunch of videos down at his place for dog truck and uh, the company had me go down there and that's how I got to know him. And we've run across each other at, he was at the shot show in uh, 2020 and we spent some time together, but uh, really an interesting setup. And that's the first time I had ever seen dogs like that, you guys, because I was, you know, in the, in the gun dog retriever world, you kind of lead a sheltered life and you don't see dogs like that. And I had never seen no. dogs with that type of aggression before. I took a picture of you and I'm texting Mike right now saying we are talking about you at this exact moment. Good. Good. You know, um, that's what's go ahead. Uh, no, you're, and you're right. We, uh, and that's the thing. Not only do you not see that in the retriever world, we don't see a lot of those dogs, even when, where we're at, you know, back in the day, the police dogs, that's, they were all like that. They were psychos. Yeah. One, one day they were drinking out of a hubcap tied to a tree. Two days later, they're in, <laughs> They're in a police dog school and there's yeah. nasty defensive psychos yeah. and they're biting everybody. The stories of guys having to put bite suits on to go into the kennel to get their dog out that they're going to work is, mm-hmm. is, is just <laughs> fascinates me. And um, well, Mike's assistant was uh, Carlos Ramirez, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. And he, he was the guy in the bite suit. And uh, so we had Carlos in the back of this UTV and Mike was handling the dog and Mike said, Pete, you probably have driven one of these UTVs. And, um, and uh, why don't you drive the UTV? Carlos is in the back. The dog will come running and jump and bite him in the bite suit. And I said to him, what happens if he misses and comes into the front with me? He said, you better fucking get out. Yeah. You're screwed. <laughs> you'll know what to do. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> Believe well, me, you'll know what to else. do. Laura, yeah. yeah. That's putting a lot of faith in Carlos, but yeah. <laughs> I would too. Carlos is really good. So yeah, Carlos. we're gonna yeah, go and take our second yeah. break. When we get back, I want to talk about um some functions of the e-collar that I really just started using in the last year that I I will admit I blew off for years, but I think they uh, are some of the most valuable functions of the collar and has nothing to do with stim. So we'll go ahead and uh, take a break and we'll be right back. All right, we love the Perkinsons down in uh, North Carolina at Highland Canine Training. They are great people, great trainers. They got a good business model. They're awesome folks. We've been with them for a long time. Uh, They're also super smart. And they understand that a lot of agencies are struggling to have manpower. So they're not sending people away for training. You guys have been there. You know, you put in denied lack of manpower. So they've created an online course section of their website, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. You get on there under training, the online course. But here's the best thing is they offer a supervisor, canine supervisor course, which we know a lot of uh, police canine supervisors don't get to go to training. They don't know as much as they should. 
right here online. Uh, the course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs and handlers, proper deployment, effective allocation and utilization, as well as liability and the FLSA issues, which we know is where all the legal stuff comes from, interdepartmental. Uh, the course can be taken at your convenience and you will receive a certificate of completion at the end. Uh, they're offering an amazing discount, guys. 30% off using the discount code WDR30. It's a no-brainer. If you're a police supervisor and you guys have manpower issues and you can't go, get on tacticalpolicek9training.com under the training tab. Get on that supervisor's course, man. I'm telling you, it's a smart decision. Another one of our favorite partnerships with the podcast here is the one and only Dogtra. The Dogtra guys have been producing some amazing tools in the dog training world for a long time. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball trainers. If it's electric and you use it with a dog, they've probably done it. They're the best. They are revolutionizing the way you communicate with the dog. I use it daily, whether I'm using pets. Uh, I use the 200C on most of our pets. Uh, most of my patrol guys will use a 1900 hands-free, 1900S hands-free. And then I use the ball popper pretty much daily with all of our detection dogs for imprinting on our box protocols. So hit them up at Dogtra Official on Instagram and Facebook. And then you've got Dogtra.com. And when you go there, if you use the discount code WDR10, they'll give you 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. So if you're looking at a 1900S or that Ball Popper Pro or one of those things, it'll knock a substantial chunk off there. So hit them up, doctor.com, WDR10. So everybody knows that Ted and I uh, not only train police dogs, we train pet dogs, right? We train dogs. So it's why our relationship with Ray Allen Manufacturing is so important. They've, these guys have been doing this so long. They knew and they understand that dogs are dogs and it's not just working dog people that need things for their dog and dog training. So you go to rayallen.com. They have everything dog related that you need. Anything that when it comes to dogs, pet dogs, your pet training dogs, police dogs, dogs you're training for other departments, anything you need, rayallen.com. Uh, they've got it. You can get on there. So if you're ordering stuff for police dogs and if you have a pet side, you can get it all in one, man. They ship it out. Got a nice big box full of a whole bunch of stuff. There's nothing better than getting a big box of dog training stuff in the mail. They also are great to us and they offer a discount code working dog radio, all capital letters, working dog radio for 10% off. Check them out. RayAllen.com. Great people. Ted and I use them every day. Super excited to have American Aluminum Accessories on board with us here at the podcast. These guys manufacture a wide variety of products from high quality cam locker toolboxes to an extensive line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of law the law enforcement community. Around 1992, due to the demand for safe and secure transport for a local law enforcement agency's canine unit, they introduced the very first in-vehicle Easy Rider canine container. So it was basically what we now call just our inserts. They have continuously grown and expanded uh, the products, catering to the needs and the wants of their valued customers and high-profile clientele, and catering specifically to law enforcement. Over the years, as the needs have changed for law enforcement, they've evolved and expanded the products to include inmate transport systems, the canine training aids, which I use quite a bit of, canine inserts. Most of, every one of my guys has one of those things. And you know, you if you're not even have to be in law enforcement. I have several friends that are civilians that work. <laughs> lots of dogs that have the inserts put into their cars too so you got one that fits you can do it uh they also do contraband and animal control systems just to name a few so be sure to hit them up the website is easy rider online so that's the letter e the letter z as in zebra 
rideronline.com. If you're looking for them on Instagram and Facebook, it's American Aluminum Accessories. Feel free to hit them up there too. So our first and oldest sponsor that's been with us from the beginning is Arno out, out at ALM, uh, out there in, in Las Vegas area. Arno is a great dude. He makes great stuff for, for police work and sport work, suits, tugs. I'm telling you right now, his tugs are the best in the business. You can't get any better. Multiple colors. Uh, I, I buy boxes of them from him and give them out to everybody. Uh, I've got a bite suit from him. Love it. I've had it for a little over three years and it's holding up like a champ. Um, Ted's got a suit that he's had forever from ALM. Uh, we wouldn't go anywhere else, man. We love it. Arno is such a good dude. His uh, ALM canine equipment.com is the website. Get on there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom suits based on your measurements. Um, he's got stuff already, already made up. If you kind of get a kind of generic large size, maybe for everybody, the colors he has, man, is really cool. He can put a lot of stuff on those suits. Uh, check them out. ALM canine equipment.com and use the discount code WD radio for 10% off. You know, running a kennel is one of those things that I always worry about is cleanliness and safety of dogs. And it's, it seems like it's an ever changing issue being able to house dogs and move things around and everything else. So the guys at horizon structure make this as easy as possible. Literally the only thing you have to do is have water and power hookups and they deliver it. And you can put dogs in that day and it's comes built, comes on a trailer. They just drop it off. You plug it in, put dogs in it and you're ready to rock. You keep them clean. You keep them safe. You keep them cool in the summer and warm in the winter time. And it's completely custom. You can go complete mild to wild. I've seen some that were stainless steel all the way from top to bottom on the inside. And then I've seen some for a, a bulldog breeder that, you know, had smaller gates because those things can't jump. So if you reach out to them, uh, they're sitting there waiting for you to call and help you through the custom design process. They have everything from two dog ones up to, uh, I want to say like 18 or 20. It's a lot of, you can put a lot of dogs, indoor, outdoor runs. So anything you've ever dreamed of, they've got it or have done it or can do it. So they've taken all the guesswork out of building it. Everything is pre-done to your specifications that it's assembled, dropped off, boom, you're ready to rock. These things are amazing. Uh, Rigney has one. Uh, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Go check out his Instagram and you can see he's posted it up there before. Go look Horizon up at Horizon Structures, spelled out uh, on the internet. It's horizonstructures.com. And you're going to look for the link in there that says commercial dog kennels. Or give them a call, 888-447-4337. They'd love to talk to you and get you started on the way. All right, everybody. We are back. Working Dog Radio, Broadcasting the Bite. Uh, with us is Pete Fisher who is a um, independent contractor consultant for Dogtra has been doing that for quite a while. Bird dog guy. If you've been listening to us, um, he's uh, been, been doing this a long time. So before we get into the other things you're talking about your dog that you have uh, out there, what is the end goal with him? Are you still going to compete a little bit or what are you doing? You know, I got him his master hunter title, which is the highest hunt test title you can you can get on a retriever in the hunt test world at age two. And so now I just use him as a hunting dog and we've bred him a number of times. And uh, uh, he's just just a dog. And I train him every day. In fact, as I worked him some and I started a new pup here that's about 10 months old. And so um, I still I still enjoy that part of the business. I still enjoy training dogs. Yeah, I just don't good. have to train 30 of them a day anymore. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but back then when you were doing that, did it, did, 
was the training the only good part? Did you did kennel stuff get you lost in the business, or were you just all of it kind of rolled together? Yeah, it it all gets rolled together. You know, I used to say this to people. You know, Saturday was like Sunday. Sunday was like Monday. Monday was like your birthday. <laughs> your birthday was like <laughs> Christmas. It was just it was just you know. Uh, wash, rinse, repeat. And, um, mm-hmm. but again, I'm not, not complaining. It's what I did for 30 some years. It's a grind. It's, um, but I wouldn't change it. It got me to where I'm at now. And, um, and I, I liked what I really enjoyed what I did for 30 years, but you know, it's, there's, I used to say this with, with my uh, sons who are both uh, uh, adult age now and, and married and, and have children is uh, I used to, they'd be out helping me with stuff. And I'd say to them, you know, if it was easy, we'd have little old ladies and kids doing this. And they'd hmm. look at me and they'd say, dad, we're kids. This is illegal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get your ass out there. But, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, I had, a, I got introduced at a, at a, an event one night over a beer and, and, uh, and a guy said, uh, well, what do you do for a living? And, and the other guy says, well, pizza dog trainer. He goes, really? He goes, you can make a living at that. And I said, yeah, we, we do. Okay. And, and, uh, I, he said, well, how many dogs you train? And I said, well, it depends, but we, on average in the summer, we're going to have anywhere from 30 to 50 dogs there given at any given time. And, uh, the guy that was with me was a farmer and he said, you know, Pete's a lot like a farmer. The only difference is, is if I'm milking 50 cows, they're all mine. If Pete's training 50 dogs, he's got 50 owners to take care of. Yeah. And that got to be a big part of the business. And uh, and as you can tell, at this point, I'm a relationship guy. I've got a good gift to gab. I've got good bedside manner with people. And uh, I probably wasn't any better dog trainer than a lot of other people around. But I, I think I'm very good with people. And uh, and that's a big part of any business. So, um, you know, you, you when I, I would first take a dog, most of my dogs came off referrals and. I had a website back in the day and we still do the, the place does, but most of mine came off referrals and there's no better Testament for your, for your work than somebody that calls you up and said, Hey, uh, would you train my dog? I saw you had so-and-so's dog. And that was a, really the, the cornerstone of our business was off referrals. Yeah. And the, it's funny you say that. Cause, um, I, I talk to my trainers a lot and I say, we're, we're good trainers, but we're no better than Ted. And these other guys, we're doing the same training. The difference mm-hmm. is the turnover when we turn over to the owner and then the, that ongoing relationship. And um, some of our some of our trainers and some of our clients have become very, very close, very good friends. And um, so that that part is lost on a, on a lot of folks. So I now listen, I only have eight kennels. I got to go there after this thing tonight and put them to bed and freeze my ass off. But and Ted, you have what? 14, 15 kennels now? Yeah, inside. Well, we have eight. Yeah. 15 inside, 16 inside. And then we have another nine outside now. Yeah. And, and for me, eight kennels, just eight kennels. And granted it's, it's police dogs and they have their own separate problems. Eight kennels, just the kennel work for those sometimes makes me like, I need a break. Like, and I, I can't imagine, I mean, it's good. You had to get a pretty big staff going that was probably a a fast expansion too um well we learned to air them is what we called it and so we had big airing yards and and with uh with the the vast majority of the dogs that we would take for training we had some that you couldn't air in big groups but we'd air out 
uh, 10, 15 dogs had a crack. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you'd get a skirmish every once in a while, but yeah, that was pretty rare. And so, uh, and then the, the, the place had, uh, I had installed these automatic waters in there and they weren't the kind that you lick you know, the dog would lick and mm-hmm. it was forever dripping. Ours, I had a company come in and, and drop copper into all the stainless uh, pails. And so when I walked in there in the morning, I could pull that lever, the main bulb uh, lever, mm-hmm. and all the waters would get, start getting filled. And once they were filled, it would just go into the gutter. And so we would scoop poop and then we'd sanitize as the dogs were out. We'd squeegee everything off. We had big fans that ran in there and dried everything up. In the wintertime, uh, it was a heated uh, system, mm-hmm. heated building that would keep about 25 dogs in it. In the summertime, we had outside runs. But you learn to become pretty efficient. And, um, and again, I'd have high school kids and my own sons were there helping with, with the chores, so to speak. And, uh, and I'm a, a bit of a neatnik, so the place always had to look neat as well. It always had to be mm-hmm. you know, our, around our training ponds. It looked like a golf course. And if you guys get a chance, you should take a, take a look at the video that's up that Craig has uh, of the place uh, on, on the website and it, it does, um, uh, you know, he's maintained it just like I did. So, cool. um, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah, part of it's training the dogs, but then the other part of it, as you said, is training the people and that got to be a big part of it. Mm-hmm. So back to the e-collars. One of the things that I, my entire beginning of becoming a dog trainer up until recently, um, recently I'm, probably be in the last 10 months is I never used the vibrate function or the tone function on the e-collar. I was like, to me, that was always an excuse to not use them. And because I'm stupid, that's why, that's why I think that way. But now we, we train for our pet dog trainers. We train um, what we call tone avoidance where the, the tone, you know, is backed up by stem on things. And, um, it, it, it's changed the game for the way I train pet dogs and police dogs. Um, I'm able to get up, uh, out off of a toy and a bite in one day and one, one setup with the dogs and having hardly used them at all. And, um, and then I've started adding the vibrate, especially on the dog truck. Cause that, that, uh, what do they call it? The HPP on there is uh, strong, really strong. Um, and it, uh, I use it on reactive dogs, aggressive dogs. And then if, if we're using a dog tra- on a pet dog, that's what they get instead of tone, uh, depending on the color that we're using. And it works amazing. Um, when you started, I know a lot of the dog tra- collars have tone function on more of the, the hunting dog lines and stuff. When did you start learning the value of all that other stuff? It, as I started training more pet dogs, and um, again, I'm, I'm in the same camp as you in that, you know, the we call those non-stimulating attention getters, either the tone or the vibration. And in my opinion is if, if you don't reinforce it with some static, uh, the dog gets to a point where he starts, it's just a vibration. So it's got to be the whole package. Uh, yeah. You know, it's got to be done complete, in my opinion. Um, I'll use it. I've got one pointer, a German short hair pointer. And if he starts what we call creeping or catwalking on a bird. So let's say the pheasant, he pointed it and the pheasant starts, which is a running bird starts to run off. And rather than apply stimulation to the woe command or the standing stay position, I might just vibrate him a little bit, you know, and give him the caution because I don't want to put any, any correction to him as he's on point. 
But if he's starting to creep or catwalk, I want him to stay staunch until I get there. Then I'll give him the release. So I would use in the field, I would use in that situation. Maybe in the waterfall hunting situation where I have a dog sitting in a blind with me and he starts getting a little antsy as the decoy dog, uh, birds are coming in the decoys, he's starting to raise up off of his sit position. I might just reach over and tap the vibration and hiss at him, sit. You know, and he knows because I've trained him with the with the pager vibration. If he hasn't, if he isn't going to get his ass back down on the mat and stay there, then as we say, it's probably going to be the moment of truth. So that I think it I think it works really well. But I'm I'm also uh, I I see too many trainers out there or individuals, you know, amateurs, everyday pet owners that buy it and say I'm going to be able to train my dog with just using the vibration or the tone. Nope. And I've yet to see one, you know, they can, they can talk about that. And I was doing a dog demonstration, getting ready to do one. And a, a woman said, well, you know, I, I use a, I use your guy's product. But I only use the vibration. And I said to her, uh, and you had good control. And she goes, yeah, really good control. And I said, well, here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> I'm going to do this dog demonstration where Trey's going to go left, right, back, run out 200 yards, stop, come to me, pick up all these different bumpers and birds. And you watch that, and I'll wait here when I'm all done, and you go get your dog, and I'll be waiting right here. I want to see you do all that. It, it's, it's a great tool, uh, the vibration, but if you don't incorporate it with the static, I, me personally, I think the dog just starts to ignore it. So oh, it's just 100%. another tool we use. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't it – doesn't, um, I, I used to find with dogs on the vibration <laughs> was they could learn pretty quickly that that was nothing or – Every time you did it, four feet would come off the ground. It would like freak him out so yeah. bad. But so I, I had a dog come up, uh, guys come up from Tennessee last week. Yeah. Last week. And, uh, buddies of mine, uh, canine handlers, one of them has a dog that I trained and, um, he had, uh, we needed to clean up the dogs out a little bit. It's been a while. The guy does, does some other things at his department with his dog that, um, He's not really doing a ton of bite work, but when he does, the out had fallen apart. So I said, we'll get this dog outing clean, coming back to you today with no conflict. There won't be, it's, it's going to eliminate the dog spinning away from the handler when you walk up to the dog on the, on the bite work. And all I did was the out command. So it was los vibrate stem, los vibrate stem, Los vibrate stem, los vibrate, and then they're letting go on the vibrate. Los vibrate, los vibrate, and then they're beating the vibrate on los. So in one session, 15 minutes, the dog is los and is spitting, hip, coming back over. And it's because we paired the vibrate with the, um, with the threat. And it's, a, it's a fair warning that something's coming behind it. Now, I do the same thing with tone. But when we're using the 1900S, it doesn't have tone, so we use the vibrate instead. But um, even, I mean, I'm talking, I don't know, Ted, when I was, we were doing stuff at HRD where we were teaching dogs that had um, out problems off to the side. I said, we'll fix it. And it was, I wasn't using that method. I was using the uh, negative reinforcement, applying pressure with the leash and collar. He lets go, rebite over and over, and then doing it that way and then adding the e-collar. So now I don't even do that so much anymore. I just have found with, if you pair that tone or that vibrate with stem, 
it's like uh, I call it the underground fence effect. You know, underground fences have been around since like the 40s, 30s or 40s. And it's, I mean, underground fences, tone, ball peen, hammer of electric. We're not doing that, but it's still the same concept. And we do it for pet dogs in our house. And I do it for police dogs. I let them loose in my facility. And then I just condition my whole building, tone, stem, tone, stem, tone, stem. And then the tone has value. Um, for me, it's been one of the, the best things I've, I've ever, that change wise that I've done in a long time. But you're right. I, I, it's funny. I was today at my facility and one of my trainers was doing a kind of a follow-up with a lady and she's walking and the dog started to get out of pocket a little bit and she hit, she popped the tone and the dog popped back in. And I, I don't think she meant to, I think she meant to hit stem, but she didn't, she had tone and the dog popped back in the spot. She goes, Ooh, that tone really works. And I said the same thing you did. I go, don't just tone to tone, tone, tone to tone, tone. It's got to have something behind it instantly. And, oh, okay. Okay. But you guys use in the bird dog world, um, your directionals and all that are all off of stem or using vibrate tone mixture. What do you do? Well, with the, with the retrievers, yeah, you know, yeah. we use them, what we call casting. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to teach the dog, uh, you know, to take a line, so to speak. And then a lot of us start with what we call simple baseball, you know, so the dog learns to run out to first base, second base, third base. And then eventually we stop him at the pitcher's mound. He learns to cast these, different directions off of the off of the pitcher's mound but we we use a lot of uh if if you take a dog where you want to have what we call a handling gun dog um one that'll do a blinder tree for you in other words you've shot a duck and it's out in the water somewhere where you either gotta go get a boat or swim to it yourself then you need a dog that'll will handle and many times these dogs may not have seen where the bird fell you know and so it truly is that's why it's a blinder tree so he's going out there blind and he's relying on taking a line away from you. And when he gets offline, you stop him on the whistle, one hard whistle, and he turns around and goes to a treading water position. And then you give him an angle back left and right. And so we don't use a lot of the straight casts anymore. We use them, you know, if a dog, I tell people this, if a dog ran a really nice blind retrieve and I looked at his pattern of how he went, it's going to look like a snake going through the grass. I don't need a dog that does these great big overcasts. I'm never going to let him get out of this view right here. So I'm just going to use angle backs. And that's how I'm going to drive him back to the point where he is, where this bird is laying. So when the dog would take a, what I was explaining earlier and, and, and uh, Ted touched on a little bit of more advanced training, how we use secondary reinforcement primary would be is if the dog took the wrong cast, you're applying stimulation right as he's running the wrong way. And a much more controlled way of doing it is to teach him to sit on the whistle and take a nick for sit. And so we're actually reinforcing the sit command because he ran the wrong direction. Then we're going to give him the, the cast again in the direction we want. And a lot of people, until you see how it works, it's, uh, you might say, well, that doesn't make any sense, Pete. But until you watched it done and, and the results from it, then you'll say, now I get it. So... Uh, so that's more advanced training, but that's when we get dogs that are going to be handling gut dogs and going to be run, ribbon runners. That's the that's the methods we uh, we work for. So going through your bio, we're going to uh, be wrapping up here in a second. But going through your bio, look and see that your 
involved in you know the the sport dog, police dog, and other things, pet dog stuff on developing products. What is what is the thing that you've helped develop that you're most proud of there, Dogtra? Oh gosh, I mean, um, you know, I've had my fingers in almost every product we have developed in the last 15 years there. Um, I'll give you an example. You said you had Tom Davis on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom was with a competitor uh, a couple of years ago, uh, more than a couple. And uh, he called Dogtra and said, hey, I'd like to use your product. I, I say he wasn't dry behind the ears yet. He was more of a kid than he is now. And, um, and so they sent him over to me and I made a connection with him. That's what I do. And I got him set up using the Dogtra product. And, and lo and behold, here, here we have uh, made a unit for him now with his name on it, so to speak. But if I walked you out into my building where I keep everything and I've got a couple of dog kennels, uh, there's probably 40 uh, remote dog training collars, all Dogtra and some of our competitors units out there as well, because we do that. And uh, there's three Tom Davis units out there. They're the prototypes that were shipped here. So I test all their prototypes. So those are and they're still here. Um, I use them. I, I, I can't possibly use 50 units. Uh, but so I do a lot of the testing and then I report back to. Uh, I work for the owners of the company. I don't work for anybody else there, the salespeople or the marketing. I work a lot with Lorraine, who you've met. Yeah. I work hand in hand with her, but I work for, for the individuals that own the company. So my reports on when I test some units like that go back to, to, the, uh, to the owners and then they uh, get it to the R&D people. So I've had my fingers in some of, some of everything. Um, uh, one unit that, that I think I'm, if you said, what, what unit are you most proud of is we make a a unit called the RT, which is a bigger transmitter style, which competes with our our main competitor, which is Garmin. And that's a pro series caller. In fact, is if you look at some of the old advertisements from a handful of years back on the RT, uh, that black Labrador is my dog tray that we used for the photos. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was very instrumental in, in, cause I said, we've got a, that unit may not sell on the numbers of the 1900 S, which is our top selling unit. But that is, I call it a gateway unit. A lot of professionals like that bigger baton style transmitter, but they may not sell that to their clientele. The clientele buys the 1900S. Uh, personally, right now on my latest dog, I'm using the 1900S Black Series. That's, that's the unit I use almost every day. So I've had my fingers in some of all of it. I help them writing, write some of the manuals. I work with Lorraine over on social media. A lot of people don't know this, but if you message Dogtra on social media and you have tech questions, that's me responding to them oh. uh, on their in- Instagram page and Facebook. That's me. You don't know it's me because I, I don't ever sign off. Uh, it's they. It's just signed off as the Dogtra official or whatever. But Lorraine and and myself monitor those. But for the and Lorraine's really picked up a lot of. Uh, she's a, she's a good gal and really is pretty smart and knows more about remote training callers than what she ever believed she would, would know. But, uh, she and I work together on social media, but that's me that does a lot of that during the day or on weekends. I do it off my phone or, uh, off a office computer. That's That's really good. That's really good. So, um, I'm going to get on that website, um, and, and get a little, is it a, is the drone footage of the property, your old place? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fisher Kennels. That's F I S C H E R E R S kennels. Fisher's kennels.com. Yeah. That'll be cool. Craig's got a, got a video, a drone, pretty nice. Somebody did it for him. It shows you the whole landscape and stuff. Do you have anything you want to plug? You have any seminars you're going to be doing any conferences coming up? 
uh, you know, if everything goes as planned, I'll be at a, a big outdoor show that's called Pheasant Fest in Omaha here in March, if that all goes as planned. But, you know, we live in a world right now where God only knows what's going on. Um, I'll be out in, in California. Hopefully I go out there and do some customer service training. I do a lot of that for the company. Uh, so I'll be out there, but that's just one-on-one working with them and the owners of the company. But no, right now, just uh, just Pheasant Fest coming up here in, in the next month or so. Um, you know, we, here's a, uh, something that uh, all of all of the listeners may want to check out is we have a manufacturers association that all of the major e-collar companies have, and it's called PET, P-E-T-T, and you can find it under petpartnership.com. And so I'm the the uh, on the uh, board for Dogtra as and all of the this is how I got to know a lot of our competitors. So. Carmen has people on there. DT Systems has people on there. Dogtra obviously does. Uh, there's a big uh, underground fence company called uh, Dog Watch is involved with that. So that's kind of a, and there's a lot of information on there about product and and um, they might, may want to take a look at that website as well. Um, it's Pet so, Partnerships with two T's. Uh, pet Partnership P E T T and then p a r t n e r s h i p dot com pet partnership but pet has two t's in it and we have a monthly newsletter uh, we send out and it's about it's for the remote training caller industry nice uh, uh, yeah I, i'm always about reading stuff and learning learning more stuff yeah i uh, can send you over the links to it also yeah we'll put them in we can put them in the show notes um yeah. at yeah. at the bottom uh do you have any social media you want to pump at all well, we, we've got, uh, I've got a Facebook page and, uh, you know, people can sure reach out to me there. I've got an Instagram page also. It's under Fisher's Black Dog Ventures. Uh, our own doctor sites are very, uh, we do a lot with our social media yeah. sites. Lorraine and I are doing something with that all the time. And, and the Facebook page is Dogtra Official. And we have an Instagram page. And it seems like the for the younger trainers, the Instagram page, uh, format is much more popular than, yeah. than Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn. I think I sent one of you guys over my LinkedIn or connected with you on LinkedIn. There's a lot of canine people on LinkedIn. That's what I find. Um, lottery retriever people use Facebook, but you know, they're all good platforms if they're used properly. And, um, and you guys, I mean, as far as plugging stuff, you guys do a wonderful job because I see the, uh, your guys code for working dog radio. I see that getting used quite a bit. Good. So, yeah, yeah, it's you guys have got a real popular one. I know that for a fact. That's good. And I try to jump on anytime I see <clears throat> them go do live, uh, Instagram mm-hmm. or Facebook live. I always try to jump on. Um, I've actually learned a couple things in there. And every time I get on, they're real cool. They always wave. Yeah. Yeah. And, Lorraine does a great job. Yeah. Uh, what's the guy's name that's on that with her all the time? Oh, that's one of our customer service guys. Nick is his name. Yeah. They, uh, yep. they have a pretty good back and forth uh, when they go on yeah. live. It's pretty good. Yeah. They um, get a little carried away. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds to me like, uh, we, you know, we, uh, when we record this, um, this place right after Tom Davis. And, um, so Tom, Tom's episode hasn't come out yet as we're recording this, but it sounds to me like that unit of his is hot. It, it's, it's done real well for us. Yeah. You know, and it's on Amazon also. And, oh. you know, who, who would ever figured I, I, I'd never figured I'd be an Amazon buyer, but I buy a lot of stuff off Amazon. It, I live pretty rural, you guys. I mean, yeah. I'm 10 miles from the nearest town and, uh, and the city of any size, St. Cloud is probably 
20, 30 minutes away. So Amazon has been a real gold mine for me. And, and, uh, and I hate going to any city of any kind. I'm a kind of a country boy. So, uh, but no, it's done. Tom's unit has done real well on, on, uh, on, uh, Amazon for us. Uh, Ted, did you say you ordered a couple? Yeah, they're back. I'm back ordered. Oh, I'm back ordered. Of course. <laughs> yeah, but I ordered just, them. So just, I, yeah, yeah. I, I had at least order me like 10, I think. That's what I'm going to switch over to. Ted uses the 280C, 280Cs for 200, your 202. I use the 200, the 202, and the 280, depending on what. And then all the police dogs get 1900S hands freeze. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, we appreciate you coming on, Pete, man. That, uh, yeah, that was yeah really it's been cool. good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, People are going to be like, yo, you, you, you just did this one because you're dog trip sponsors. No, we're dog trip users. That's right. a big, that's a big thing. We were <laughs> using dog trips before, yeah. before they came on board on the podcast. Trust me. Way before. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've lost track of you guys in the last two years. I, I, I don't know how many podcasts I've done. I've done a ton of them though. And I just keep telling people I got a, evidently I got a face made for podcasting. So <laughs> that's but, what uh, I said too. Now we got a and then we threw you on YouTube. Now, <laughs> yeah, so now we're, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, a, it's, it's gotten to be a real popular platform. Hasn't it? I mean, I, oh, yeah. I, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I lost track of how many, well, I was, uh, Tom Davis has got a podcast, doesn't he? Yep. Yep. I was I on just that. listened to a couple <laughs> episodes the other day. Yeah, yeah, I was on that a while back. Uh, there's some really good ones out there. You guys did a nice job, you know, kind of keep things going and, you know, interacting. But some of them, if you don't get the right host, I mean, it can be pretty hard to do. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the funny thing we find when we have, it's kind of the opposite. If we have police canine handlers on, they they talk like they're in court. So <laughs> you ask them a question, five yeah. words, done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're so, like give me your I, background they're like i like dogs yeah like, oh <laughs> i i grew okay. up in minneapolis yeah. <laughs> you're like oh okay good you like dogs uh, it's like that was, internet thing where that kid's like i like turtles and you're like oh all right, all right. yeah so we <laughs> so then when, when when i see that we have to and some military guys too every once in a while i'm like this isn't a tribunal bro you can <laughs> yeah, you know, relax a little bit and but i get it so then we just start get, you know driving them so Mm-hmm. Ted, you got anything uh, to plug? Any? Uh, yeah, we're getting ready. I leave Sunday for South San Francisco uh, oh, yeah. for HR for HRD. Uh, we got like thirty teams. It's uh, nice. there's a lot. Uh, another guest from the podcast going to be working it with us, Mike Jones from Primal Canine, way out in Cali. He's bringing his crew out. Nice. Um, yeah, so um, looking forward to that. And then we were getting some stuff scheduled for. Uh, we're going to April, we're going to Blue Line Conference in April, um, and then I've got uh, an HRD in on the north side of Lake Pontchartrain. I can't remember the name of the town. It's just on Hammond, Indiana, or Hammond, Louisiana. Uh, is hosting another uh, HRD, so we're going down there. Um, as of yet, I think we've only got ten people signed up, so we got time. But everybody's waiting to see where fucking COVID goes. Yeah. So as of right now, <laughs> I'm still going. So yeah. <laughs> I just at this point, I just assume everyone I walk past has COVID. Yeah, or dealing with it. So, yeah. um, I have. I'll be going down to Georgia with the uh, Georgia Police Canine Foundation boys in March. Howard, um, H- Howard and I, we've done that a couple times. Um, but I told Howard this year, listen, you're doing all the talking. 
and I'll just be the supporter because usually I end up having to go and do all the talking and then him and I just run stations. I'm like, we're switching it up, homeboy. <laughs> and and uh, so he'll, he'll be great. Howard's such a good dude. Um, is that, uh, is that event on, uh, what was the name of it? Georgia police canine foundation. Yeah. They, they do a, um, training seminar every year, March, April, something like that. And it's in March. This I'm year. looking at an email from Kyle Briley. Yeah. That's yeah, him. Kyle. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just approved a donation for that event today. Oh, nice. That's why it rang oh. a bell. Yeah. That's one really of the things I do with dudes. Lorraine. Oh, we get a test spot full of requests for free stuff. And, you know, and you can't give away the farm, so to speak. But, no, we just approved one for that uh, today. I'm looking at the email. We're, listen, we know because every Christmas we have our hands yeah. out to Dogtra. Give us a bunch <laughs> of shit to we, give away. We gave away like $7,000 <laughs> for this shit. I saw it. I was like, oh, this is cool. It was at the kennel. And uh, Alicia was like, no, it's not for you. It's We got to mail all this out. I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, we gave there was like ball trainers. We gave away a thirty five hundred. What else? I there was a ton of shit. Oh, there was, was a lot. Uh, yeah, black, nineteen hundred black. Yep, nineteen hundred S. I think a hands free maybe. Oh, yeah, Dogtra always one. comes through for us. Always. Uh, they'll take pictures that in his house. It looks like like he just opened a, a pile of presents. <laughs> it's all Dogtra stuff. I'm like, yeah. listen, I'll come over there and take it. Don't leave your house unlocked. Yeah. Be all all over that. So, um, all right, man. Anyways, Peter, it was yeah. a good time. I had a great time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate no it. Problem. I'm sure we'll cross paths at some yeah. functions or something, social media wise. Um, I might just message now just to get you to talk to me <laughs> on yeah. since you're going to be the guy doing that. F- fire away, yeah, yeah. It, it, it'll come back, dog tra- official. I like, I know who that is. I bet. <laughs> yeah. Now we know. I'll put a smiley face by it. Yeah, yeah. Now we know. give me a give me yeah. a thumbs up. I'll know. So, well, right, boys, you guys as... let let me know if you need anything. I'm here to help. Oh, yeah. Is what I always tell people. Um, and anything, just give me a holler. You got you got my. You probably don't have my. Well, you can find me on social media, but also mm-hmm. I can give you my phone number at some point. You can text me, or you well, you got my email. Yeah. But um, yeah, if you need anything, holler. I mean, you guys have been great to work with. I think it's a it's a really good partnership. Yeah, I agree. All right, thanks, guys. I got to go freeze my ass off at the kennel. So. Yeah, yeah, same here, <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank man. you. Yep. Yeah. All right. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.